I mentioned, like, uh, I don't know, maybe last Sunday or a couple Sundays ago about my dress and eventually coming down into shorts, and uh, uh, I, I didn't mean to make it this soon. Uh, so you're probably wondering why, you know, not only are one, why is he in shorts, two, why is he in sandals, three, why is he only wearing one sock, and don't look at my sock tan, please. I just got reminded of that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, so that was... Never mind. So I'll cover that up. More embarrassed about that than my, my foot. So you might be wondering why why are you wearing shorts and uh, and so well uh, it's not drastic measures of being able to wear shorts. It's not because I'm trying to avoid the the cycling tour of Southern California with Ken and, and the rest of the brothers. Um, so last Sunday, I think it was Sunday, right? Was it Sunday? Yeah. You know we uh, we we. Got a nice, you know, made a nice roast. Getting all excited. So we got the roast on the counter. And, you know, uh, Jamie and I, we, we bought a new uh, set of steak knives. Brand new, right? We get all excited. All right, these are the little things that we get excited about, okay? Um, and so most of our marriage, we never really had really sharp knives. So we're so excited. So we got this beautiful roast on there. It's all, you know, looks good and get excited. Get my knife out, the nice slicing knife. It's, I should have brought it, but I can't bring it because Jamie has banned me from the knives for a while. So beautiful knife and I'm going and this thing is slicing like butter, man. It is going, I'm like, and, and Jamie's coming. I'm like, Jamie, it is so nice to have these knives. It is just cutting through this roast like butter. I'm all excited about it. I'm like halfway through cutting through that roast. And I have it down on the counter. And uh, I don't know what happened. I think Satan just like knocked the knife out of my hand or something like that. But the knife fell off my hand, hit the counter. I was falling down on the floor. What's your instinct? No, my instinct was to catch it. But I knew better. I'm like, no, it's sharp. So I withdrew my hand and I moved my foot out of the way. And I thought, oh, I'm in the clear. I moved my foot out of the way. The knife fell on the ground. James like, Mike, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. So did it get you? I'm like, no, I don't think so. I, I think I hit my foot on the stool or something. She's like, she looks down. She's like, Mike, no, I think it got you. Because I guess she saw some blood. I said, really? So I looked down. I saw some blood on my toe. Thing. Oh, okay. I'm not feeling anything. So I'm like, all right, it must not be too bad. So she said, here, here, bring your toe foot up. So it's a good thing I got a little bit more flexible over the past year. So I was able to get my foot up on the counter and she's rinsing it off and gets a towel and she's rinsing it. And you know, I didn't know how serious it was when I, because of what I was feeling, but Jane is like, oh my gosh. <laughs> she looks at it. It's like, oh, Mike, it's like down to the bone. Oh. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I look. She, she pulls it over and it wasn't a lot of blood on it because I guess we were rinsing, put a thing on it, but it looked, it was split like a hot dog bun. I mean, it was like, it was split open. It's like, you know, if you ever cut a hot dog, something down the middle of cooking, they just started to unfold like that. And I look and all I saw was pale skin and white there. I'm like, okay, that's not good. So I'm holding that thing. So put pressure on it, put pressure on it. And we get over and, um, you know, go to the bathroom, don't worry, no blood got on the carpet. 
since standing waiting for her to get stuff together and ready to take me to the ER, she's like, yeah, I think you need stitches. I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess I need stitches. Never had stitches before in my life. So I'm standing there and uh, Jamie's like, Mike, you need to sit down. I'm like, why, I'm fine. She's like, no, you need to sit down. I sit on the bed, next thing you know it, Jamie's, uh, my son is helping me up off the bed, take me to the car. I'm like, dude, I got it, I'm okay, I can walk. It's like, no, you need him to help you. I'm like, no, I'm okay, I can make it through. So I managed to get to the car, and so we're sitting in the car, it's a good thing we're not far from UCLA's uh, uh, medical center, so we're driving over there, and she told me, so Mike, you know, are you feeling okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, I mean, it's not hurting, it should hurt, and it kind of concerned me, it's not hurting, because I'm thinking, great, did like, did I get all the nerves out of my toe or something like that? But it's like, Mike, you like passed out. I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, you passed out like four times. Like, what? No way. I started laughing. Apparently, I my body went into shock. I mean, it, I didn't feel the pain. It wasn't the, because of blood or anything like that, but I guess my body just reacted and I like passed out four times. It's like, I had no idea. So anyway, so she, that's why she she was she was worried, and we went anyway. Sat in the ER, uh, got back. Uh, don't worry, I didn't include pictures in the slides. So I thought about it, but you know, obviously wisdom told me not to, so I didn't include it. But if you want to see it, I'll show you. Uh, but anyway, so I got stitched up, and uh, and so I just want to thank you guys all for all the prayers. I know. Uh, I, I hesitated, like, should I say anything? And James was like, you know, you know what, no, people want to pray for you. So I said, okay. And so, and sure enough, I heard from many of you, just uh, you praying for me. And I think God really is answering your prayers because uh, this probably should be hurting more than it does. It's more of a pain in the butt than it is an actual pain. Um, I'm trying not to put pressure on it because I don't want the stitches to come out or anything like that. But um, all in all, uh, first, first time getting stitches it it stitched up from the base of my toe and all the way up but I gotta tell you it was a praise because it could have been much worse if the knife would have fallen any other way it could have locked off my toes it could have been stuck right at my foot uh, you know it could have it, it just missed my nail plate so I didn't have to get my nail tear torn off it just missed my my ligaments so didn't have to have surgery so all in all, you know, God really just uh, watched over me. What the lesson is, I'm not sure yet, but maybe it's just to have a good story for the message, right? Um, anyways, that's all I have for you. Let's pray. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father God, thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, for this church family. Thank you for their prayers. Thank you for their concerns. And Lord, I just thank you that you um, really do watch over our lives. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for this time we can come together and uh, just have worship. And Lord, we pray as we sit at your feet, we pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your word, Lord God. And we thank you for your goodness. We praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, anyway, so if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 32 in a second. But uh, as you turn to it, how many of you remember the first time, or you remember a time when you fell in love? Can you all recall when you fell in love? <coughs> Some of you may be thinking, which time? You know, I don't know. Uh, but do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what you felt? What made you believe that you were in love? 
All right, was it the initial physical attraction? I don't know if it was love at first sight. Uh, was it because when you met that person, there was just this incredible understanding of each other that you never had before, this connection you had? Was it unexplainable when you thought of the first time you fell in love? Maybe it was so unexplainable. Maybe, how many of you, no, don't raise your hands. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Maybe you're still with the person that you first fell in love with. I don't know. But maybe those reasons were unexplainable. Maybe after all these years, you're still trying to figure out why you fell in love with that person. You know, I don't know. But if you do an inter internet research about falling in love and how one falls in love, you will come across tons of articles from five steps to 12 steps. From the scientific uh, biology of how someone falls in love to just these, you know, uh, range of emotions. And I came across this one article off of uh, uh, psychology today. And uh, you know, you take it for a grain of salt, chew what you may, but it was kind of interesting. And this was probably the most basic article about falling in love. And they, he broke it down to just five different kind of things you experience. And this was based off some students that he researched and, and some feedback. The first step, a person who meets another person has to be willing to fall in love. Okay, that's pretty basic, right? The first step of falling in love, you have to be willing to fall in love with somebody. A settled man or a woman with a newborn baby, a disappointed lover, may not be willing to fall in love and their journey ends there. So first step, you have to be willing, right? Pretty understandable. Two, when this person, he or she, could easily be a man or woman, is ready to fall in love, she needs to meet a person who attracts her attention or his attention. This could happen because the other person is attractive, but sometimes it's just enough that the other person is there. Hopefully your standards are a little bit higher than that. That it just it doesn't need to be a, an able-bodied present, but you just have to have somebody there, right? It gets your attention. The third thing, he or she needs a minimal sign of interest from her romantic targets, such as a smile, a nod of approval, an expression of an opinion. And this isn't true, I think guys, you experience this. If you, if you receive just a, a smile or a look, that's all you need to say, ah, oh, maybe there's some interest there. So one, you have to be willing. Two, something has to gain your attention. And three, some slight kind of recognition of, hey, there's a door that might be open. Fourth, we now can proceed to step four, which leaves a person alone for some hours or even days with their imagination, dreams can blossom. So when they're time away, they're thinking about the person. They're imagining themselves together with that person. I don't know if you remember those days or not, if you remember days where you laid in bed, you just let your imagination of that person. And then the final step that they have is that he or she is ready to meet the target of their desire again. And at this final step, the person only has to provide another sign of apparent interest. So just give me any sign of interest and love will blossom. Now, I don't know about you, if your experience was that simple or not. For some it was, some that's all you needed, right? All I need is an interested body and just some sign, just give me anything and I will be interested, right? I don't know what your experience is. But when it comes to romance, love, love stories, 
Um, you know, it, our, it always gains our interest, our attention. We can be consumed by it, right? You know, we want to get the five steps, the 12 steps, how to find a, 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 a partner or a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, all those things. We love a love story, as I mentioned some weeks ago. But why is it that when it comes to our relationship with God, why is it that it can be so difficult for us to sustain that love relationship with God? Why is it sometimes that it's hard for us to keep God the object of our affections and our devotions? Maybe you can relate to that. Last week we looked at Romans 12, and we started a sermon series called Foundations for Generations. Right? And we've laid down foundational principles for our church. One, not only foundations for generations as a church of who we want to be as a church, but also for our own personal lives. Not just for our lives, for the generations that follow us, our kids, even our grandkids. The foundations of our faith, who we want to be as believers in Christ. And we looked at five basic principles. Worship God. Rooted in the word, we'll look at in these next following weeks. Edifying fellowship, faithful service, and a shining witness. Five very basic principles, not groundbreaking things, things as in scripture that we'll look at in the next few weeks. Well, foundational principles of who we want to be as a church. And we started off with Romans chapter 12, verse 1. All these are in your slides on your phones. You can look down if you like, write notes if you want. Romans 12, verse 1, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of service or of worship. And we looked at last week how worship is more than just music. It's more than just 15 minutes in a service time or playing a worship song in your car. Our ultimate act of worship is giving God ourselves as living sacrifices. That we offer God ourselves up. Not our dead old selves. Not who we used to be. But as born again, as followers of Christ, we offer ourselves the new person that God has created us to be. So it's not just about what we do in service or church or worship songs, but how we live our life. And that we are to give all of our being. Right? Not just our bodies, not just our voices, but it's our heart, our mind, and our bodies. But the question is, why do we find it so hard to do? Why is it so difficult so many times to be able to say, God, I, I want to live for you. I give you my heart, my mind, my body. Why is it such a challenge for us? And what hinders us? What hinders us from offering the Lord all of us, our hearts, our mind, and our bodies? We're going to take a look and explore the answers to those questions this week, and then we'll, we'll follow up next week with uh, what can help us with this, okay? But turn your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to look at a case study. We're going to learn from a group of people, the Israelites. Maybe we can glean some, some uh, answers as to why it's so difficult for us today. Okay? To give you a background on this, God declared to Moses, right? He led, Moses, led the Israelites out of Egypt. And God declared to Moses his covenant with his people. 
If they would obey his word, right? If they were in relationship with him, he would bless them. He would make them prosper, right? You be faithful to me and I will be faithful to you. I will bless you. And God met Moses on Mount Sinai in this awesome scene. If you can imagine it, those thunderous sounds, lightning lit up the sky, a dark cloud descended upon the mountain. And it describes in Exodus 19, 18, that the, the mountain was in all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the mountain shook violently. So you can imagine this awesome scene and the people, the Israelites are looking at this awesome scene as God descends down from the mountain and he calls Moses up to meet with him. Moses delivered that message to the people of God's covenant to them. And the people responded. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. That's what the people declared. So God called Moses back up to the mountain and Moses met with, with God for 40 days and 40 nights as God delivered the rest of his commands. So this is where we pick up in verse one. It says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed, well, let me turn to it, to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now the Israelites, they always found reasons to doubt and complain about God ever since they were delivered from Egypt. If you recall the stories in Exodus, right? God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and he's going. And then there was a point where they saw Pharaoh's troops closing in on them in pursuit and they feared for their lives. They complained, oh, great, Moses. He delivered us up here just to get killed here. But what did God do? He parted the sea. Miraculously parted the sea, delivered the Israelites from harm. You go further down, they experienced thirst. They were thirsty. So what did they do? They complained to God. Oh, great, you let us here to die in the wilderness. We're thirsty. Where's the water come from? What does God do? Miraculously provides water for them. Go further down the line. They start to get hungry. Like, oh, great. You let us over here. We're going to starve to death. I wish we were back in Egypt. At least in Egypt, we had food. What does God do? Miraculously provides food for them. God shows himself miraculously on the mountain. You think at this point in time, the Israelites experience enough for them to say, God, we believe in you. But their belief, their commitment to God didn't even last 40 days. Because what do they say? They say, look, we don't know where Moses is. We're getting a little impatient here. We don't know what came of him. So what do they do? They demand, they say, go to Aaron. Say, Aaron, make us an idol. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where Moses is. They get impatient. Sorry, I almost jumped the gun. He says, come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. We don't know where he is. So they said, make us a God. Make us, and this, this word God here is actually, it's interesting. It's the plural form, Elohim. And you know, in scripture, it can, when it's used in plural form, it can be referred to as gods as multiple. 
but specifically it's used to, God, to be referred to God, the God of the Israelites, right? The Almighty God, the one true God, Yahweh, Jehovah, however you want to pronounce it. But we'll get to that in a second. They said, come make us Elohim who will go before us. As for this Moses, we don't know where he came from. Notice that they are so quick to say, make us an idol, make us something, some representation of God. They had just heard the commandments to not make any idols. But so quickly, they went to it. Isn't it interesting how funny, you know, ever since a kid, you can be told to do, you can do anything. Just don't do one thing if your parents ever did that to you, right? They left for a room for a second. Look, you can do all these things. Just don't do this. And what do you want to do more than anything else? You want to do the forbidden thing. And here are the Israelites, their impatience growing, and they demanded in verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 2, it says, And Aaron said to them, tear, tear off the gold rings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molded calf. And they said, This is your God. O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought these peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. So what happens here? The people demand an idol. Aaron, make us an idol. Make us image. Make us... Elohim, make us God. Aaron caves in to the pressure of the people. He feared the mob more than he feared the Lord. He caves into their desires rather than correcting them, admonishing them. He pacifies their desires instead of following God's desire. So what does Aaron do? He says, give me all your gold from your ears. He gathers it, and he forms it into an image of a golden calf. Now, a bull was a common image in Egypt that represented their deities, their gods, particularly their idea of a creator god. And they took, so they took from this idolatrous Egyptian worship a common form of idol in Egypt, and they attributed to the Lord. The people declared, this is your Elohim, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now there's differing thoughts as to what this represented. Right? Was this supposed to represent the actual God, Yahweh himself? Was it just to be represent their other idols? I personally believe, I think in their minds, they wanted to represent God. Why do I say that? Notice what Aaron says afterwards. Now Aaron, when he saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation that said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh, to the Lord. I, is my interpretation, my impression of this? Aaron probably justified this. Well, we're not making another God, right? If we could just form this out and say, Here is God. Here's God for you so you can visibly see. Remember, they're coming from Egypt, a polytheistic culture 
and environment. They're used to seeing all these idols representing their gods. And so they're in their place saying, well, why don't you make us an image for us, for God? Even though God had just told them not to. Aaron tried to associate this idol to the Lord God. It strikes me how easily they went to idolatry for the people. How quickly they strayed away from what God wanted them to do, God's word, and how quickly they went to what they're used to doing, what their hearts desired. What was the Lord's perspective? How do you think that sat with the Lord? You think God took this well? Verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from which the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. God was not amused, was he? Notice what he told Moses. I love this. He says, go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Parents, have you ever done this? Your kids did something wrong, and you said to your spouse, did you see what your kid did? Yeah, I haven't either. Maybe you've heard that said, right? Something bad happens, look what your kid did. If something good happens, look what my kid did. But love what God says. It offended God so much. He says to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. God was so offended. He didn't even call them his people at that point. See, from the people's perspective, God was delaying. God, where are you? Moses, what's taking you so long? Where did you go? He was nowhere to be found. So they grew impatient and they wanted a visible representation of God for themselves. Maybe this idol could meet their needs. But God's no fool. He knows the hearts and intentions of people. He didn't, he didn't recognize their worship to this idol as unto him. What did he say? It's to this idol. They demeaned the Almighty with this image. They came from a culture that this image represented their God. God said, you can't make an image that captures me. But I think God also knows at the heart of man what happens when we do. We put an idol to try to represent God. God describes the people as a stubborn, hard-hearted people. Now, it may be easy for us. We read this passage. It's easy for us to look at the Israelites and say, man, how can they not get their act together? Have you ever done that? You read Exodus, you look at the story of the Israelites, you're like, man, how come they didn't learn? But be careful. Because I think we could find ourselves in the exact same position. What happened to the Israelites? Where did it go wrong? One, they grew impatient with God, right? You're wondering, God, where is he? Where, where did Moses, where did he go? He must have left. 
This, their impatience led to them easily straying away from God's commands. Their impatience went to, well, you know what? Let's just do this. And so, yeah, I think God said this, but no, let's just do this instead. They regressed to a worldly standard, perhaps even their old lifestyle in Egypt. But they regressed to that, their model, the world's model, what they were supposed to do. They went to idolatry. And then they tried to capture God in this image. And then Aaron caved in, a leader. He caved into the pressure of the people. Aaron misrepresented God, directed the people to this image to worship. And of course, God didn't recognize worship to him. This wasn't worship to him. This was worship to this idol. So what are some common problems? When we look at this example, what are some common problems that we can relate to? What can we learn from this example? Well, one, do we demand that God operates on our timetable? Think about that. Can we relate to the Israelites? Do we often demand God to operate on our timetable, on our watch? And despite what God may have done for us in the past, do we still demand from him so easily, so quickly? It's almost like we use our unfaithfulness as a threat to God, right? God, if you don't come through, I'm not going to believe you, right? God, if you don't answer my prayers the way I want to, forget you. As if that's a threat to God. But I think our patience can resemble a lot like the Israelites. Because our impatience leads to demands, and our demands often lead us to disobedience. If we don't get what we want, when we want it, we say, God, I'm going to, I'm taking a side route, going another direction. And in the process, do we find ourselves longing for the ways of the world? For some of us, it might be our old way of life. What we used to be like before we got saved, before we knew Christ. Do we find ourselves going that way? Well, you know what? I'm just going to do it like everybody else does it. I want my life to look like how everyone else does. And then in the process of that, do we try to fit God into our liking? Right? They molded a calf, this image of God, as if that's going to represent God. Do we try to mold God in an image that we like, to our liking, to our convenience? what we want God to look like. How does this relate to the obstacles? How does it relate to us? The obstacles for us in giving God our hearts and minds and body. Well, the question is, who does your heart belong to? Ask you that simple question. Who does your heart belong to? Does your heart still long for the world? And have you idolized your worship to the Lord? Does your heart still belong to the ways of the world? And have you idolized your worship to the Lord? And I'll explain that in a second. Does your heart still long for the world? Now, if you're on social media at all, I don't know how many of you are on social media at all, you may be familiar with this very popular meme. It's this distracted boyfriend meme. Maybe you've seen it. I mean, how many of you have seen it? Okay. Uh, I showed a picture of it. It's on your slides down there. If you haven't seen it, you don't have your phones to look at. The picture is this. It's a young guy walking with his young girl. 
But in the front of the picture is this other girl facing the other direction. And the guy is looking backwards, right? He's looking, he's checking out the girl while he's walking with the girl. Well, the girl he's with has his face turned where it's like, you know, like, what, what are you looking at, right? So I, you've probably seen that, that meme somewhere. But have we done that with God? Does that resemble us with God? We say we're walking with God, but our eyes are fixed on someone or something else. See, do our hearts truly belong to the Lord? Is God the center of our desires, or is our desires distracted by other things, other people? See, the problem with the Israelites, we see throughout their history, all the way into exile, is that they never stopped longing to be like everybody else. They longed to go back to Egypt, even though it was, they were enslaved. They were suffering. They were in bondage. When things got tough, they wanted to go back. When they were established, God gave them a kingdom. They looked at the other nations and said, we want to be like the other nations. They never fully gave God their full heart and kept it there. I think we can easily be like the Israelites. They could easily be you and me. The more we let the desire of the world, what we want to be like the world, burn in our hearts, we're going to find ourselves distracted. The more we think that things are better on the other side, or that we're missing out on something, we're going to look like that meme. We're going to say, God, we're walking with you, but we're constantly looking, checking other things out. And our hearts are distracted. And whenever we long for the world, that's always going to continue to harden our hearts towards God. We saw that with the Israelites. So one, where does your heart belong to? And second, have you idolized your worship to the Lord? Do we have idols that, that to us may represent God, but those idols themselves have taken a more prominent position in our hearts than God himself? Now we may think, initial thing, no, that's not, that's not me. But let's just see. One kind of idol can be a building. The building of a church. For many people, the church building is more important to them than God themselves. Now, I'm not judging people. But sometimes some people are more concerned about the building themselves than the content of the worship. Some people, for some people, the name of their church is more important to them than God himself. So much effort is poured into a building, to services, to things that you do, the name, putting your name out there. But is God himself as honored as the building or as the name? So a church building or the name of a church himself can be the idol. The idol can be another person. People define God based on imperfect people. Have you caught that? So many people define God by imperfect people. They look at certain leaders as their representation of God. We have a tendency as people to elevate other people, imperfect people, on pedestals. And then we get disappointed when we find out they're imperfect. Over the past even year alone, 
How many Christian leaders have we seen who are elevated, who are revered, fallen away, have even denied the faith or questioned their faith? We're talking pastors, worship leaders, authors. We've seen these spiritual people that we thought were Christ-like, living double lives. And it shakes people's faith because they put these people in the pedestal as if they are God himself, right? Maybe your idol can be an experience. People look at an experience as the representation of God. Music is a beautiful expression of worship, right? God given. He gave us this, this desire to have music and he created music to have a direct line to our hearts our minds and our bodies but sometimes that experience can be an idol because we look to that spiritual experience to be the def definition of spirituality or our connection with God and we seek that experience we want that experience and if we don't get it we just go off to find that next experience our spiritual experiences can be that idol instead of God himself. The last thing I'll say, the idol can be a mirror. Maybe the idol is the mirror. When you look at that idol, you see yourself. Yourself is the object of worship. So many people go to church to please themselves, seek for themselves. They want to feel better. They want powerful music so they can feel spiritual. But who is the object of worship there? Are you going to church to make you feel better? Or are you going to church to worship God? Is your faith in God what it is because of who he is? Or is your relationship with God based on what God can do for you? Is, does God exist to make you feel better? Does God exist to serve you? But at some point, God becomes a hindrance to those who, whose idol is a mirror. Because there's not going to be times when you're going to feel good and everything. And you're going to question God then. God, how come I'm feeling this way? God, you must be this. God, you must be that. Is God still the object of your worship? Or have you put things or people or experiences in that place of worship and you seek that instead of God himself? You see, we can be self-centered in our worship. We can be self-centered in our faith. We can be self-centered in our expressions. Well, we have to be honest and realize, God, are you the object of our worship? Are you the one who we seek or are we seeking to relieve ourselves or relieve ourselves? God is not a replacement for what we long for in the world. I'll say that again. God is not a replacement for what we long for in the world. We cannot replace God as the object of our greatest desires either. We can't replace God as the object of our desires. Right? If you want to see God because you want him to leave what you're looking for in the world, no, it doesn't work that way. 
Let God be your greatest desire. And we're going to take a look more of that in the following couple weeks. I'll conclude with this. How, how do we get from, you know, from, from this? Let's say if our heart doesn't fully belong to God. Or maybe we have set these idols in place of God. What can we do? Here's some things to think about to marinate over. One, leave the world behind. Stop looking at the past as something to long for. Stop looking at the ways of the world as the object of your desires. As if that's what you should desire. You got to be willing to leave that behind. And that's going to be a constant daily check in your life. Right? The second thing, trust him. Trust him for who he is, not what you hope he will do for you. Trust him for who he is, not for what you will hope he will do for you. If your trust in God is always relying upon what you hope he's going to do for you, you're going to find yourself more frustrated and disappointed. Not because he can't, maybe not even because he won't, because you're demanding of God to go on your terms. Trust him for who he is. Third thing, practice obedience. Why practice obedience? Because that's our protection to our devotion. If we're willing to be obedient to God, that protects our devotion to God. If we're unwilling to be obedient to God, our hearts are going to stray all over the place. Obedience is there to protect us. Fourth thing, focus on the Lord every day. See the Lord in the midst of your circumstances, even at work, trying times at work or in school or in your family. Don't let God be out of your focus. God can be in, your, in the midst of those situations, in those circumstances. Last thing I would say, praise more than petition. Praise God more than what you ask for. That's a challenge. Have you ever done this? When you pray to try to just praise God, how many lines can you get there before you ask God for something? I dare you to try that if you haven't noticed that yourself. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. You are awesome. You're loving. Please help. Oh, please. Oh, I said please. Uh, uh, thank you for your goodness and, and your awesome. Uh, 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 please. Oh, I said please again. Praise him. Even praise him more than Thanksgiving. Because sometimes our Thanksgiving is still focused on things he's done. For us. Praise him for who he is. If you're wondering whether you've idolized your worship of God, test yourself. I'm not saying you're a heathen or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. But have we mistaken our worship of God with these things? Other people, the church itself experiences. To test yourself. Ask yourself this. If we didn't worship in a church building, would our worship with God still be the same? In a pandemic, when you're sitting in your living room, it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. But if you didn't have the church building, if you didn't have the church name, 
If your favorite worship song wasn't played on Sunday morning, did you still feel like worshiping God? If your worship songs aren't filled with I, me, my, do you still like worshiping? When he calls you, do you say, God, I'll call back later. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, you alone are worthy of praise. You alone are worthy of being honored. You gave us your life, Lord Jesus, so that we can live and live new. The least we can do, Lord, is live for you. Set our hearts, Lord God, upon you. May you be the object of our worship, our desires, our focus and attention. And Lord, if we have placed idols in our lives that we thought was worshiping you, but we've been giving them more attention and more honor than you, Lord, help us to see that and help us to redirect it towards you. That our focus and our glory and our honor will be upon you. We ask this, Jesus, in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.